Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Keith Sutton uh, and I'm an F1 photographer for the past 40 years. So my name is Anna-Louise Felsted. I'm an artist. Um, I paint lots of things, but predominantly motor cars, motorsport. So I go to lots of events around the world like Pebble Beach, Villa d'Este, um, Goodwood, Silverstone and paint cars. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Markar. And in this episode, as you will have seen from the title, we are continuing our celebration of the wonderful event that is Sleeping With Art. A beautiful collection of creativity, wonderful people, artists, sculptors, car owners, you name it, all in one beautiful house called Heads a House in Buckinghamshire, where this year we were invited along for the second time to the second event to capture some conversations and talk to some interesting people about the work that they do in the world of automotive and art and just general creativity. Now, in this episode, we are going to be talking to two people from the event. Uh, one is a photographer and one is an artist, both of whom were showcasing their work at Sleeping With Heart. Now, the photographer, to start with, is Keith Sutton, otherwise known as Sutton Images or Sutton Motorsport Images. Keith is an amazing photographer who has some of the most incredible stories, including one which ultimately points him out as the initial publicist for Ayrton Senna, who is just obviously the most iconic Brazilian racing driver in recent history. Uh, Keith shares an amazing story about how he started out as a photographer befriending Ayrton Senna and then moving forward and pushing both his career and Ayrton's career in Formula One. And of course, the stories just flow from there. 
Now, the reason that I've included Keith as part of a, a two-parter episode is because there is going to be more to come from Keith. We insinuate it, we lead to it in the conversation, and you'll get what I mean when you listen. But effectively, it warrants us going back, and it warrants us having a proper sit-down chat with Keith and spilling some of the most amazing stories that you can imagine about his work with particular F1 drivers, people like Bernie Eccleston, race team managers, traveling the world, working for different magazines and coming out with all sorts of amazing stories. So that is who we're going to be jumping into first. Following Keith, we're speaking to one of the artists exhibiting at Sleeping With Art, and that is Anna Louise Felstead. Anna Louise is a brilliant artist, makes the most exciting and fun images. Some of them are quite, um, let's say, naughty. So what I'm going to say is, just in case you happen to be listening to this, I don't know, in the car or in earshot of younger ears, smaller ears, um, whilst it doesn't get too blue, there are some words that we use and some terminology that we use that might trigger a few questions. So either keep that one to one side or keep that segment of the episode to one side, have a listen to it first, and if you think it's safe for the little ones to hear, then that's absolutely fine. But it's just a little caveat warning. There are no swear words, it doesn't get you know too naughty, but there are a couple of terms, perhaps, uh, words we use which may... Um, prick up the interest of people that we don't yet want to explain what those words mean. So yes, that's uh, one to uh, just give you a heads up on as well. But also, uh, Anna Louise was absolutely brilliant, as you'll hear from our conversation, and I'm sure we're going to end up bumping into each other again more at events around the world, in and around cars, in and around motorsport. So there'll be plenty more to come from Anna Louise as well. But those are the two conversations that I'm bringing you in this week's episode. I'll dive straight into the first part of the podcast now with Keith Sutton, then we'll have a little break, then we're going with Anna Louise Felstead and then we'll call it a day this is the Driven Chat Podcast from Sleeping With Arts and I will speak to you in a bit the Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast my name is John Marker and I am sat still in the beautiful building that is Heads or House. You will have heard from our previous episode. Uh, we did a episode focusing on the wonderful event that is Sleeping With Art, a beautiful event where we're surrounded by sculptures and artwork and photographs and cars and just wonderful creative people in just about every single room in the house. And one of the people that we found whilst here, as you've just heard from, is Keith Sutton, a I hope you don't mind me saying it, legendary photographer. Well, I'll, I love the word legendary, <laughs> but uh, everyone keeps saying that to me. But, you know, I've been lucky enough to be uh, in the business 40 years and I've had an incredible career. Yeah. So uh, I've got to know, you know, uh, all the drivers and all the team principals and, you know, over that time. And, uh, yeah, it was a, I did 650 Grand Prix. 650? Uh, uh, yeah, as, wow. as a photographer. Until I sold, uh, you know, the the business and stopped taking pictures five years ago. Wow! So you're, I mean, people, especially long term F one fans, people have been following F one for many many generations. They will have seen your company logo as a sponsor on cars as well, wouldn't they? Which is that, quite that's right. Thing. Uh, we did get involved uh, in 1999 with uh, Jensen Button, which mm. followed on to Kimi Raikkonen and, and Sebastian Vettel. Well, there, there was nearly 100 young drivers we supported. Wow. And that all came from uh, when I first started my career back in 1980. I was in my second year of uh, motorsport photography mm -hmm. and uh, I was working for a Brazilian magazine and they wanted pictures of Brazilian 
drivers that were racing in England. Wow. So I went down to Thruxton Circuit in Hampshire and I picked up the programme and I looked down the list and I wanted and I saw BR mm-hmm. for Brazil. Brazil, yeah. So I found uh, found the driver, never introduced myself. I was very shy. I was 21. This driver was only actually 20, uh-huh. you know, himself. So, uh, But I followed him around all day and took lots of pictures of him, went home back to my parents' house in Cheadle, Cheshire, near Manchester, and uh, processed the, the pictures and then sent them over to Brazil to mm-hmm. Autosport magazine. Wow. The following weekend, uh, I noticed he was racing again at uh, Brands Hatch. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I felt I should be there. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, did, I couldn't afford the, the fuel in, in, in my car to get there to mm-hmm. Kent from Manchester. So the story is that uh, because I'd eaten 10 packets of Kellogg's cornflakes, <laughs> and each packet had a token, and if you collected 10 tokens, you got a free... British Rail ticket anywhere in the UK. Wow. So straight from Manchester Piccadilly to Kent. And I managed to hitchhike from Kent Station to, you know, to, well, it was, I think it was Ashford, into uh, the circuit. And I walked into the circuit. And this driver came up to me and said, uh, in broken English, couldn't speak English, why were you taking all those pictures of me in, uh, in Thruxton? I said, because I work for a Brazilian magazine and they need pictures of Brazilian drivers racing in the UK and he said oh he said are you a professional photographer I said yes I'm in my second year as a professional Mm -hmm. and I said why are you asking these questions and he said to me that uh, the reason was that uh, he just arrived from Brazil he was racing in Formula Ford 1600 and uh, that year his father was paying for his racing now his idea was that if when he started winning races he wanted to get some publicity, mm-hmm. and by getting the publicity, he wanted to find sponsorship, so his father didn't have to pay the following year. Yeah. So he was thinking well ahead. So he said to me then, uh, after that conversation, "Would you be my photographer?" And I said, "Yeah, as long as you pay me." So uh, I told him the price, and he he, he went quiet. But then he <laughs> agreed, and uh, that day, he won uh, the heat. I mean, there must have been 50-odd, 60-odd cars competing, and you have to go through heats. He won his heat, got him through through to the final, and he won his first ever car race, and that was uh, Ayrton Senna <laughs> de Silva, as he was called then. And uh, what I found out later is that he just got married in February to right. his uh, childhood sweetheart, Liliana, and... Uh, yeah, she was there, and they dis- they went up, up onto the podium. And I thought, well, you know, I'm his photographer. I'd better be there with him. So I walked <laughs> behind him and ended up, you know, on the podium with him. Wow. Where before, if I was shooting, it would be opposite the podium. Yeah, of course. So uh, anyway, it was, I don't know, middle March, and uh, I was so lucky because, you know, the sun just suddenly came out, and it shone on their faces, mm. and they were there together, and... Uh, uh, the pictures were just sensational and she was kissing him and all that. They were just very emotional pictures and I was there to capture his first ever, you know, car, uh, you know, uh, win. Incredible. Race win. And at so, that time, I mean, that's it's such a, yeah. a beautifully brilliant story. Did you have any inkling 
at that point to think that this guy, Ayrton Senna, who now, of course, mm. is just regarded as mm. he's going to be one of the all-time heroes of motorsport, just forever, many, many, many generations to come. At that point, was there even an inkling that this guy was going to be as big as he became? No, no inkling at all. Wow. He was just another driver at that time, you know, and uh, he was trying to make his way through you know, in, in, in Formula Ford, like a lot of the Brazilian drivers had mm. done before him, you know, Emerson Fittipaldi had come over, yeah. and Chico Serra, you know, these Brazilians had come over and raced for Van Diemen, for Ralph Furman at Van Diemen, and he was just another one following in, in their footsteps. So at that time, I didn't know, but as the year went on and he started winning more and more races, uh, you know, it, it started to become, obviously, he was very talented, and uh, everyone had apparently been talking about him in karting mm -hmm. you know but uh, you know I wasn't in karting so I didn't know you know all those stories uh, so yeah he won lots of races that year won the championship and then in October of that year uh, I was on the podium again he'd won again in Brands Hatch <laughs> and uh, Brian Jones who was the, the you know the interview uh, the presenter yeah commentator asked him uh, you know Congratulations! What do you you know? And what, what what will you be doing? You know, for next year we've been Formula Three, Formula Four, two thousand, and he shocked us all by saying, "No, I I finish, I'm retiring from oh. racing," and he hadn't spoken to me about this, and I was shocked. It was the first I'd heard about it, and he went to explain to Brian that uh, even though he'd won all these races, he'd won the championship. You know, he'd, we'd been sending, he'd been sending all the pictures, my pictures, back to Brazil for the newspapers. He wasn't getting the publicity because right. Nelson Piquet that year uh, was driving for uh, Brabham mm -hmm. uh, and he won the World Championship. So it was all about Nelson Piquet. So that was it. And he said, I'm going back to, you know, help my father on, his, on the farm. Wow. So I thought, oh, my God, he's, he's gone. And that's it. You know, I never thought anything of it. He wrote me a beautiful letter saying, you know, thank you for helping me in my career with so much effort. And that was it. He was gone. And then he said something about, yeah, I might be back for the Formula Ford Festival, but it's not sure. Yeah. But anyway, he never came back. And that was, I thought that was the end. But then in about February 1982, I get a call at home, you know, uh, in Cheadle uh, saying, hi, Keith, you know, it's, uh, I told, I'm back. I said, you're back? <laughs> I said, yeah. So what's going on? He said, no, no, I, I've, I've uh, sorted my problems out and, uh, yeah, I've, I've got some money. I've found a sponsor with the uh, Benage Bank mm -hmm. in, in Brazil and I'm going to uh, come back and race for Russian Green Racing in the Formula Ford, and, uh, Formula Ford 2000 European and British Championships. Wow. I said, that's fantastic. <laughs> I said, let's get together. He said, well, I'm testing at Oldham Park. Perfect. That's uh, just a few miles from my home, yeah. I'll meet you there. So I met him uh, that following week, and while he was testing, and at the end of the of the test, uh, when, you know, when he'd spoken to Dennis and uh, he'd got some time, I, I sat him down and I said, "It's fantastic that you're back, you know, but uh, you know, what is it you <laughs> you can't keep stopping and starting?" I said, "What well, what is it you actually want to do? Well, you know, what's your ambition?" Mm. He said, "I want to be a Formula One driver." And I said, well, I, I want to be a Formula One photographer. And I think, you know, with your talent, you know, and, and success, I think we can go to Formula One together. So I said, I've been to a few Grand Prix by then, and uh, I've noticed that the Formula One teams do press releases, mm. you know, uh, after each Grand Prix. Why don't I do that for you? And why don't I, because I know all the Formula One 
teams, I've got all their addresses, I can send all the press releases with some pictures to all the team, the Formula One team owners, Frank Williams, Peter War, Bernie Eccleston, and uh, tell them about your progress. And I can also send the press release to all the magazines around the world, which yeah. I'm working for by now. Of course, yeah. So, you know, Italy, America, Switzerland, France, you know, I was working by that time for all the magazines. Uh, and, you know, with pictures. I'd already done an interview with him, in, actually, in, uh, in Alton Park, right. using my Olympus dictaf- uh, what are they called? dictaphone. Dictaphone, yeah, yeah, with the little uh, cassette. <laughs> and I actually interviewed him, the first ever interview with him, uh, in, in, in the front of his Alfa Romeo Sud. Wow. And uh, so that was published in the Italian magazine Outer Sprint. Please full tell page. Me you've got that. Yeah, I've still somewhere. got it. Oh, wow. Full page, at, uh, full page uh, interview with photographs uh, in an Italian magazine for a Formula Ford driver. <laughs> so, yeah, so we did the press releases and, and uh, he was winning races in, in England and winning them in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the European races were uh, with Grand Prix as well. Yes. In Belgium and Holland and and Austria, mm-hmm. so he'd he'd won all those, and then the next uh, one was in uh, in Denmark, and uh, where he could clinch the championship. So he wanted me there. Mm. So we flew over together. We shared a room together, and we had the whole weekend. Uh, and it was very tense because uh, he had to be he had to beat this British driver Cal, Calvin Fish, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he pulled it off. And uh, became European champion and British champion, and uh, that then led to uh, me getting phone calls from Bernie Eccleston, uh, letters from Peter War, wow. from from Lotus, and uh, and Frank Williams approaching him for a test in you know the following year, Gosh. in 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 1983 in the Williams in <laughs> July, the first, his first ever formal test, and I was there as his photographer. But uh, the following year, 1983, again, he had a fierce battle with Martin Brundle for the British Europe, yeah, British uh, Form Three Championship, which yeah. he won at the last race. Wow! And then, uh, then after that, uh, he tested the Tolman, he tested the Brabham. Ron Dennis offered him a, a drive in, in McLaren, which he turned down. <laughs> he won, and then he decided on Tolman, yeah. because there was no pressure on Tolman to start with that, uh, with you know, with that uh, team. Incredible. And then so, a few races later, of course, he's battling for the lead at, at Monaco, overtaking Nicky Lauda and nearly <laughs> winning that race in the rain, which yeah. we all know about, yeah. Indeed. So I mean, you describe yourself as out and centre's photographer, but really, let's be honest, you were his publicist. You were his first ever publicist to get him into the position that he got to. It was a, you know, I guess without your support, it may, it may not have happened. Oh, I'm sure he would have gone on. <laughs> You know, and uh, you know, and got there in the end. But uh, I like to think I helped, and you know, mm. a little bit in 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 his career, and and uh, yeah, I certainly, uh, it was certainly a great privilege to be there in uh, in in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil for his first Grand Prix for Tolman in wow. 1984. Yeah. I mean, that was just God, incredible. I imagine. As a you know, I think I was t- uh, I was 24 yeah. by that time. He was 23. And to go to you know to to, to his home mm. uh, in Brazil was was special. Yeah, I mean even now it's the the, the Senna name is still so celebrated. It's mm. it, it's leagues beyond celebrity, isn't it? In mm. in Brazil, they still inspire so many, um, so many young drivers. And of course, now that we've seen mm. his nephew 
Bruno step yes. forward and do bits yeah. and pieces. And again, that kind of, it's reignited that that spark. And mm. we all know that, um, you know, Brazil, it's a, it's a country full of passion. Mm. And when they've got somebody to back, you know, their own... Uh, their own driver to back it's just incredible so yeah i can only imagine what that was like the one thing that did happen after that though is and he'd spoken to me in denmark about it he said when i when i get to formula one he knew he was going there Mm. you know i want you to be my photographer brilliant and i just nodded at that time this was 1982 yeah uh but when it actually came to it he'd set up a company you know a limited company whatever Mm. and uh the, you know, the offer was still there to be his photographer, but he wanted to, you know, uh, put me on a salary, pay my expenses and hotels and everything. But I was only allowed to take pictures of him. Got you. And he would own all the copyright. Uh-huh. So I turned him down. Ah. And uh, not many people turned him down. No, I bet. Uh, but I, I, I did because I wanted, you know, I couldn't go to a Grand Prix and just photograph one person sure. as much as it was a great honour. And I want, you know, at that time I was you know, thinking about setting up an agency, mm-hmm. you know, and employing my brother. So it was, uh, I told him that, and uh, he went quiet for, for, you know, with me for about a month, mm. and then came back to me and said, look, Keith, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I've thought about it now, and uh, I really, you know, even though, you know, uh, you, you're not going to be my photographer, I still want you to be there in Rio. Correct. So I'm going to pay for your, ho- your flight, your hotel, and you can come over and, you know, you can obviously take pictures of me and you can give some pictures to me, but it's, there's no there's no pressure. So. Wow. So that was that. And then, uh, yeah, I did in 1985 uh, set up Sutton Photographic. Brilliant. Yeah. Before we get to that chapter, I'd like to peel right <laughs> back to the start because I know no. that you've got, a, you've got a good story about why this all started. Okay. And, yeah, um, yeah what, what effectively got you... Mm the interest in taking photographs of racing drivers because you were you were a child weren't you i was i was very young when i first uh, got involved in motorsport and uh, my father was a, a keen race fan and he was going to uh, a circuit called alton park in the north of england near yeah. chester you know since it was it opened back in the 50s and uh, he used to go along there with his you know with his mates and have a you know meet up and have a few beers lunch and watch the racing and and uh, what happened is you know when I was uh, born uh, he carried on going to these races with his mates <laughs> until I was about six months old and uh, uh, my mother said to, to to my father Morris if you're going to carry on going to Alton Park with your mates you know here's Keith so six <laughs> months old I was there at my first race then uh, as you know it, it kind of cramped his style a little bit. But then all his mates started having kids, so he kind of grew up with it all. But then I was the most photographed uh, child, I think, probably uh, at that time, because he used to sit me in racing cars, stand me by racing cars, uh, and he only ever took one picture of me, you know, with a race driver. That was in 31st of August, 1963. And this young driver was just starting off in his career, uh, doing sports car racing and Formula 3, and uh, two years later, in 1965, my father showed me this picture and said, Keith, that driver you stood next to, he's made it to Formula One mm. uh, and he's going to drive for BRM. And I said, what's his name, Daddy? He said, his name's Jackie Stewart. He <laughs> says, well, I'm going to support him and see how he, uh, how, you know, how he gets on yeah. in his, his career. And, of course, he became three times world champion. Yeah. And then 
incredibly, I started working for him uh, with Stuart Grand Prix. Wow. Initially with Paul Stewart, uh, racing his son's Formula 3 team and mm-hmm. Formula 3000 team, which then went on to Stuart Grand Prix. We were the official photographers. And then I was uh, the official photographer at his uh, 70th birthday. And the whole relationship has just grown over the years. And then when we got to half a million images on our website, he came over to my offices, which is a converted chapel in Toaster near Silverstone. And uh, he came along very kindly, uh, you know, to announce this. And we did a press release. We had TV there. And <laughs> and I had my scrapbooks from when I was a kid of him, oh, wow. which was amazing. Uh, yeah, and he came over. My dad was there, my brother. And... Uh, he was only supposed to be there an hour. He was there for about four hours while his chauffeur was waiting outside. <laughs> uh, but it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful time. Yeah. And then I have to tell you the story while we're on that, mm. Jackie Stewart. I was at the Goodwood Revival just recently mm-hmm. and I walked into the paddock and there was the transporter, the Akurikos transporter yeah. that I was stood in front of uh, in 1963 with Jackie Stewart. Of course. And I phoned his PA, Emerson, and I said, is Jackie here? He said, yeah. I said, I'd love to reenact that picture that we did 59 years ago. Is it possible? He said, well, not today, but tomorrow Jackie's doing a tour of the paddock with some guests, and I can arrange it. (laughs) So uh, I'll speak to Jackie. I'm sure we can pull it off. So uh, the following day, on on the Sunday, uh, uh, Jackie was with his guests, and then he came past the transporter. They moved away. And then I stood next to Jackie and we had the picture taken 59 <laughs> years later in front of the Akurikos transporter. This was pretty special, yeah. yeah that Fantastic. Amazing. 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 I mean, there must be an infinite number of stories when it comes to you know, doing the circuit that mm. a lot of people refer it to, or the circus, as some mm. people say, you're following mm. Formula One around the world. And often, I guess, what fascinates me is the relationships that get built up within that group of people that go around, and that could be everyone from mechanics to engineers to strategists to drivers to then the photographers, the media teams, which, of course, Mm. nowadays in modern-day Formula One, it's just become this absolutely gargantuan community of people. But I guess even back then, it was still to scale. It must have been such a huge group. No? No, it wasn't really. Wow. Because, you know, we're talking... You know the the early eighties, yeah, and uh, there was probably fifteen, sixteen people in a team. Wow! And you knew, you knew the drivers, yeah, of course, and and then you knew the name of every mechanic, everybody on that team, you know, all the way down. So, uh, you know, times wherever it was, ten teams or where how many teams yeah. it was in those days. But so you got to know them all. And it was much more. It was closer. Mm. And there was less photographers. There was less everybody, and it was, uh, it was. Uh, it was much more enjoyable then because there was no pressure on me as well because it was just me yeah. uh, going to these you know racetracks and uh, photographing them and going back processing make doing the print sending them to the magazines mm-hmm. but uh, and, and you had time to get to know uh, everybody mm-hmm. and i always try to explain you know back in in in, in those days uh, there was no computers so there was no data no, to look course. at yeah so what used to happen after qualifying you know, finished at two where it was at two thirty. You know, we'd left the circuit, and it, you know, if we were in Brazil, mm. we'd be down on the beach or back back at the hotel. Yeah. You know, relaxing, enjoying, swimming, playing tennis, playing golf, 
<laughs> and the drivers would be there about 15 minutes later because they've got no data to look through. You know, they'd have a, a debrief, yeah, you know, yeah. and talk about setup, but no, none of that <laughs> to go through. So that was the difference. And then we'd be photographing them and they were quite happy for us to photograph the drivers, yeah. swimming, playing tennis, relaxing by the pool. And that, that was nice because they knew you, they trusted you. Of course. And it, yeah, and that's the way it was then. And as it grew and grew and grew, you know, it became quite hard to keep up yeah. With, with knowing everybody. <laughs> Do you, can you remember if there was a, a bit of a transition time? Because I, I love hearing the stories and, you know, I've been lucky enough to talk to the likes of the late Sir Jackie, um, sorry, not Sir Jackie Stewart, the, um, the late Sterling Moss, the Sterling Moss. Yes. And he, um, you know, he used to tell these brilliant stories about how they'd finish a Grand Prix weekend mm. and then they'd go to the pub. Yes. And you just think, mm. you can't imagine that happening now, can you, where you'd have... You know, the likes of Lewis Hamilton and Lando no. Norris and everyone's finished their race, racing for rival mm. teams, and then they all go to the pub together yeah. and have a couple of pints. So can you remember, was there a time when that all seemed to change or was it just a gradual evolution into getting just so big and you know, the, this now media frenzy that Formula One's become? Well, I was lucky enough, you know, to do my first Monaco Grand Prix in 1981 mm. and uh, I'd heard about this bar called Rosie's Bar Mm-hmm. which is just after Saint de Vaux on the hill, yeah. where all Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart and all the drivers used to go, like mm-hmm. you said, for a beer after qualifying. <laughs> and uh, so that was the place, you know, that I used to hang out, in, you know, in the 80s. And then in the evening, there was a, a bar called the Tip Top Bar, right. which was actually, you know, on the track again, just after they came out of Casino Square on the left, there was a Tip Top Bar on it. And everyone used to sit there, you know, having beers, and the drivers were there, you know, in, in, I'm talking the 80s, of course, again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mechanics, every, all the teams were there. Yeah. And uh, that, that was... Uh, but as, as the sponsorship came in and the money came in, I mm. suppose, over the years, you know, it'd be, obviously the whole thing changed. And also the fitness of the drivers, mm. that's the one thing we have to remember. You know, I don't think they were particularly fit no. in, in those days. <laughs> and it was uh, Ayrton Senna that brought in the fitness level. When he got into the Formula 1 car for the first time, he could, it, you know, he was struggling big right. time. And he really realised he had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So he got really fit. And then following that, when Michael Schumacher came into Formula 1, he looked at Senna and sh- saw how fit he was. And then he took fitness to the next level. Interesting. And got in contact with... Uh, the Italian uh, uh, gym equipment company called Techno Gym, uh-huh. who ended up sponsoring him. Wow. Which, uh, you know, and then he had his own gym in the paddock in one of the trucks, which really outsiked everybody uh, at uh, the testing and European races. Wow. All Techno Gymed up, you know. So there they are in their trailer with a pint in hand looking yeah. at somebody no, on a yeah, cross trainer yeah. going, oh no. <laughs> and of course the drivers used to smoke as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I can even remember, you know, back in the day, Keki Rosberg sort of smoking, you know, before he went out and did that <laughs> fastest lap, having a cigarette before at Silverstone, and, you know. And, uh, but that all stopped and mm. then, you know, they had to change the, as, the, as the cars became harder to drive and faster. And, of course. Yeah, they had to think about everything. Yeah. What have been some of the standout moments for you in that time of evolution? Because, again, you've seen F1 from 
two complete polar contrasts now from mm. when you started out as a professional photographer to, mm. to where we're at now. And you still do take photos, don't you? You still go to... I still go to the races, races. but, you know, I don't take as many pictures sure. as, as, as I used to. Mm. I think uh, it's become, you know, so big now. But I, just, I still do 10 races a year and I choose mm -hmm. the races that I, you know, that I enjoy or where I've got friends around yeah. the world yeah. and go and spend some time with them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I still know you know a lot of the people who have I've grown up with. Of course. And uh, no, it's uh, quite enjoyable. I mean, on the photography side, you know, we were, you know, when I the, as the agency grew, mm. uh, we were doing a lot of work for the magazines initially. Yeah. And we had, like I said, all these contracts, and Japan was a massive market of ours as well. We had some fantastic contracts there. Uh, we then got into the commercial side of it, where you start working for the sponsors mm -hmm. and the teams. And that's when it really grew. We started employing yeah. lots of people to help us deal with all these contracts. And uh, I got 25 staff at one point, you know, working out of, uh, you know, my, the chapel sure. in Toaster. And uh, we were, you know, we were making duplicates at that time of the of the originals of the best pictures and sending them out to all the magazines mm. and we were probably doing about 5,000 every Monday and there were 70 packages DHL <laughs> to get out but then we started working with uh, Lotus and uh, Castrol and worked for all their sponsors and that went on to Williams yeah. and Hewlett-Packard and, and uh, Compaq and then Mobile and then Orange and then Jordan and Benson Hedges wow. and uh, yeah, it just went crazy. Uh, and then I, I would say probably then digital photography of came course, in, yeah. which tames the whole game, you know. Mm. Whereas with my team and everyone working, you know, we we could certainly beat most, pe mo most of the agents and our yeah. competitors getting the pictures out there to all the magazines. When digital came in, you know, everyone obviously had a website mm -hmm. and they uploaded them and then gave access to everybody, yeah. all the magazines. But we were the first ones to have our website. We were ahead of the game because uh, Hewlett-Packard sponsored the Williams team. Great. So we were able to uh, get some service from them. Brilliant. And wow. then we, we hosted our own uh, website on our own, we had a, on our own server somehow uh, <laughs> with all these experts that I employed, uh, which was incredible. Uh, back back in I think it was ninety seven we we set up. Wow, gosh! So we we changed the company name in in ninety six to uh, from uh, Sutton Photographic to uh, Sutton Motorsport Images, mm -hmm. and uh, and we used the word images before anybody because yeah. we saw I don't know how but we saw it coming yeah, digital yeah. imaging, so uh, you know which was obviously later mm. uh, used by Getty Images and many course, many different yeah. uh, agencies. Yeah. But uh, we were ahead of the game on that. We eventually dropped the motorsport and we were just called Sutton Images. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that came about at the same time when uh, we were approached to uh, help uh, Jensen Button Excellent. by his managers uh, back in 98. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, his managers had got the money to finance him to, to, to Formula One. Uh, but they didn't have any sponsors, they had a blank car, so uh, we did all the uh, photography, of course, mm -hmm. the website, the press releases, uh, and all the PR for, for, for Jensen in Formula Ford and Formula 3. Great. Uh, and uh, that's 
by the t- by that time I got a big marketing team to look after all these young drivers, which mm-hmm. then went on, like I said, to to uh, Kimi, and uh, we we did some work with Sebastian Vettel when he was in Formula BMW with the Red Bull Junior wow. program. So uh, yeah, it was quite quite a journey, really. <laughs> the Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That transition, when everything did go digital, yeah. what was the general consensus there? Because, I mean, nowadays, everyone and their dog has a camera. Everyone's got, you know, an iPhone that can take 40 megapixel yeah. cameras now, uh, pictures now. And, yeah. and, and everyone and anyone who's got access to £1,000 can get themselves a half-decent camera and a good lens. Yeah. At that point, did you foresee that accessibility coming, or did you still think, no, we are we're the top of our games, so we're going to be able to, you know, continue being the top of our game? Was there any element or, or thought that actually this could get harder now because suddenly it's going to become easier and more accessible? It, yeah, no, I could see it was going to get harder, mm. but at the same time, we, you know, we were ready for it and we were well ahead of the game yeah, on, yeah. on that, you know. So that, you know, that didn't concern us too much. But mm. the first digital cameras that came out. You know, they were £15,000 each. Yeah. And they were so slow. You know, uh, you know the file sizes were terrible. So yeah. yeah. I suppose if I look back and I remember the transitional period, was those five years were probably the worst times. Because mm. trying to... Because we still had to carry on shooting film, even yeah. though we had the digital camera mm-hmm. for the, you know, to, to, to supply the magazines with, you know, pictures straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to carry on shooting film at that time because we needed the quality for the archive yeah because you knew that in years to come those digital files would be mm, no good course, yeah so uh, i was doing the job twice so one minute i had the the film camera bang you know shooting all these pictures and then i had to pick up the digital camera <laughs> and then there was a problem uh, you know at the start of a race which is where the action is mm. you know and always the most exciting part for me uh, was where the you know you'd put your finger on the on the shutter, and it was buff- buffering, which oh, meant wow. you put yeah, your finger down and you might take six pictures and then it was trying to catch up. Yeah, and you were waiting. So, uh, but I do remember, uh, luckily, shooting the uh, start of the Canadian Grand Prix uh, when Alex Wirtz was in the Benetton. 
and I shot it in film. And I, I always put a fresh roll of film in before the start of a race, in case anything happened. Mm. And uh, Alex hit, hit a car from behind and started rolling, rolling, rolling towards me. And I just kept my finger on the whole sequence, and it was autofocus. Wow. So the whole, every frame of 30, don't forget, it was 36 yeah. frames on a roll of film. <laughs> they were all pin sharp. And the last yeah. one was when he landed upside down. And then I quickly changed the film and got him climbing out of the car. He was fine. Wow. But the guy next to me was shooting uh, digital. And yeah. I think he got two frames yeah. of it. That was it. So. <laughs> to the, right now, to this day, do you still feel that you have a, a more personal affiliation with film? Or is, is digital, has digital now taken over? Because I know film's kind of having a bit of a resurgence, isn't it? People are suddenly going out and buying old film cameras and developing. <laughs> Where do you stand on that? No, I can understand that, you know, why it's all come back, you know, it's, uh, and I'm, you know, if you started off with film, you've got that mm. sort of uh, infinity with film and uh, the whole processing side of it and, and the waiting, yeah. you know, for the processing and seeing what you've taken. That was the excitement of it. Mm. Now you can just take a picture, look, see what you see on the back of the camera and yeah. check it's okay. So that was... Uh, but I do look at it as, if you think about it, you know, back in the 80s when we're shooting, you know, uh, manually, mm. you know, we're full of focusing with a 500 millimetre, you yeah. know, cars doing 200 mile an hour. Uh, and we were obviously with, with the, uh, it was all manual. Yeah. And uh, we had to get our light meters and <laughs> choose our shutter speed on, on, on the light meter and then get the, you know, the aperture and put it onto the camera. Yeah. So there was a lot of skill, yeah, more yeah. skill in to in those days but it was a good training yeah good training for you i think uh, i think the colleges and that when they were teaching photography for many years when digital came out they tried to teach teach them processing and mm. in the dark room and shooting film yeah. to, to, to get the whole process how you process and develop to mm. roll the film and then made the prints they kept doing that for quite a while yeah but after a while of course it's expensive now you know to, yeah, to buy it if you wanted to buy a roll of film and get it processed somewhere, it's a lot of money yeah. compared to... Yeah, just going know, out and yeah, shooting, shooting and looking digital. at the screen. That's right. Yeah, fantastic. We we should probably talk about a couple of the... Well, I say a couple. A few of the main personalities that you worked with. Obviously, you, you gave that brilliant story about Ayrton Senna and his beginning into the career. And I guess, you know, we all know um, how his career panned out and, mm. of course, the, the tragic end that it came to. There must be there must be many people that you got close to and formed a relationship with and and you know had these brilliant bonds and friendships with again with the people you know traveling the world that must have had you know moments like that must have really taken their toll on you mm. yeah I mean you got to know the drivers mm. you know at that age uh, when they first started you know and uh, obviously uh, that's how you, you met them when they came over to race in England, mostly, you know, in Formula Ford or Formula mm. 3. And then you, you went to Formula 1, or you were already in Formula 1. When, when they were coming through, they already knew you. And so, uh, no, I, I had a very good relationship with uh, Johnny Herbert, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, we were very close. I went up to him at Alton Park when he was racing Formula Ford. I said, hello, I'm Keith Sutton. I'm a photographer. Can I take your portrait? And he said yes. And... That was, you know, all the way through to Formula One. And then I was the Team Lotus photographer when he joined Lotus with his teammate, Mika Hakkinen. Mm. 
and uh, he was a lot of fun. He never changed, Johnny. So I got to know all those drivers. David Coulthard was another. Yeah. Damon Hill. Yeah. You know, again, I ended up doing a, a book with David Coulthard and Damon, mm-hmm. you know, with all these guys. And they were my era, you know, you, you grew up with. And, uh, of course. What was, what was good when, I, you know, when I got approached back in 98, you know, to work with Jensen and, uh, and all these other young drivers, you know, I was a lot older by then mm. than them. So you didn't really have a lot in, in common, but that was a good way of keeping in touch with what was going on at the time and with, with younger drivers as they were coming up. Yeah. So that's why we sort of helped them and supported them. And we kept the Sutton Images name because they were all wearing the Sutton Images cap. Wow. Uh, and they had Sutton on their overalls. They had Sutton Images on the car. Every Red Bull junior driver had Sutton Motorsport Images on their car <laughs> and Sutton on their overalls. Yeah. And that's how they got to know about Sutton, Sebastian Vettel will, will tell you that, you know, he learnt about Sutton, you know, when, when he was 15, he was on the website all the time looking at pictures. Wow. And also he has a great interest in the history of, of motorsport and especially mm. Formula One. So, uh, yeah, that relationship uh, was quite special. Yeah, of course. Which then went on years later uh, when I did World Champions in Art. Uh-huh. with a collaboration with an artist called Mark Dickens. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 32 pieces of 32 world champions from Ascari to Hamilton. And uh, Mark was using one-metre square boards with paint and resin and gold leaf and fabric and using all our photographs from the archive of all these world champions. And, uh, and, and also my, my job was to go and get everyone to handwrite about their favourite world champion. And uh, he gave, he told me he wanted 200 quotes to go in the work. So, uh, and I ended up getting 215 quotes for him. <laughs> and these were very special handwritten quotes by Sterling Moss writing about Fanjo, mm. Fernando Alonso. His hero was, was John Surtees, yeah. the only you know, uh, person to win world championship on two and four wheels and then... Mm. Adrian Newey wrote about Emerson Fittipaldi, Ross Braun on Michael Schumacher. It just went on and on. Mark then puts a, a transfer of the, uh, of the quotes into the artwork. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that took us probably two years to complete. And then uh, it took me a year to sell it. And mm. uh, I suppose I knew and I had an inkling that uh, he was interested in uh, he was interested in, in, in you know the history of motorsport because he kept calling me and yeah. asking for 10 by 8 prints of every world champion and I said why, why, why do you want these prints he's because I've collected and gone and got all the autographs of every world champion including himself <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway so I sold them all these 32 as a complete set to a four times world champion Sebastian Vettel. Wow. So, yeah, fantastic yeah. result. Starting a project on the world champions, uh, never knowing, you know, three years later, I would sell it to a four times world champion, the complete artwork yeah. with all the quotes which were kept in a separate file. That's what really, I think, made him buy the artwork because when he read some of the quotes, he said it sent. Goose pimples down. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so that was that was special. Yeah, it's definitely a very, it's a very exclusive club, isn't it? I mean, those that are 
drivers that are good enough mm. to get to that level and, and into Formula One. And I guess all of us as spectators and onlookers, we can only imagine, you know, how that must feel to be in that elite club. But I think a lot of time, a lot of the time now, especially in the modern era of Formula One, we look at a lot of the drivers, we look at the people that are. Um, even managing the teams and we kind of we don't see as much of these personalities from people now and perhaps that's because they're so consumed by their sponsors and they have to be so careful with what they say and how they act and how they react and anything they do in their personal lives they can't seem to be too exciting or not exciting enough mm. and I do you feel like some of that 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 glory is gone because of it do you feel like the the personality side of Formula One, which obviously has been something that you've been so fortunate and been able to capture over the years, is now kind of the spark is is died slightly. I think you, you you're right. It has. Yeah. Yeah, because they have had to be very careful what they say with all the PR people yeah. around them yeah. and the way they behave. And you know, there's no way we're ever going to have like a character like James Hunt mm. anymore who just did him what he wanted most of the time and uh, behaved the way he did you know we all look back at James and think you know he, he was a, a hero <laughs> you know but uh, the drivers had to change and some of them tried to carry that on mm, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, in in the end you know when there was so much money involved that was the thing yeah. when the money started coming in you know that's when things had to be clamped down and yeah. you know the professionalism had to be in it you know 100 percent yeah but uh yeah i used to i worked for a japanese magazine for many years and uh one of the things that i did with uh with them is uh we didn't know the personalities of these drivers so i i said to to them that i would uh i because i knew them i would go to their homes wherever they lived in the world mm-hmm. and photograph them at home in their country and do what they do when they're away from the track yeah and that was very successful because people did want to know yeah, more about them. And of course now we've got uh, Drive to Survive by Netflix Indeed. which has you know changed the whole yeah uh, you know changed everything with uh, the way it's brought all these new fans into mm. into Formula 1. Now we're getting behind the scenes we're, we actually yeah, are yeah. finding out the characters not only of the drivers but the you know the team principals of course. And uh, that you know it's just incredible you know I've, I've done 10 gro- I've, 10 Grand Prix this year and I was out in Melbourne and what I was astonished by and this is after obviously lockdown mm. and uh, there was uh, so many people there now all queuing up for autographs and selfies and everything and there's 60% more more women now watching wow. at Formula 1 and yeah. that's because of that programme yeah. and every Grand Prix sold out and I've heard now that you know the, the girlfriends and the wives are actually buying the tickets for their husbands or boyfriends I want to go to the Grand Prix. Whereas it used to be the other way around. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, the boyfriends <laughs> and husbands had to dragged. drag their yeah. wives. And now it's the opposite. So well, yeah. that's that's good. Yeah. And it's great to see it, yeah. you know, the way it's all gone. You know, you know, I was in Miami this year, which is just incredible, crazy. And all the Americans have finally fallen in love with Formula One after all those years where, yeah. you know, it was all, you know, they didn't really understand it. Mm. And now they're getting to know it. And of course, all the girls are seeing all these, you know, young, handsome drivers, <laughs> yeah. there, you know, at the track. So, yeah. you know, it's it's really changed. And, you know, next year it's going to Vegas, I know. which is fantastic. I'm yeah. excited about that one. Yeah. And I always like to go to the new tracks these days as, yeah. m- as much as I can. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to ask, actually, that mm. was going to be one of my questions, <laughs> is that does it still excite you? you know, do it, 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 I guess it must be so different to the, the glory years, I'll call them, in, in which you were working at such a high level. Mm. But do you still enjoy it, given the this new age and how commercial it is and how busy it is and how big it's got? Is it still as exciting or is it a different type? No, it's, 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 it's different for me because I'm not working anymore you know I'm not yeah. shooting as much so uh, yeah I do love it still love it Great. and uh, I still love going you know and seeing everybody seeing friends and seeing everyone mm. at the tracks you know and I've just come back from Austin I was there at the weekend and I got back Monday morning and that was fantastic mm. you know uh, again and I'm going off to Brazil and uh, Abu Dhabi for the final race so yeah I still get the opportunity to go there and I've been very fortunate because I know, you know, the people at the top, and yeah. I've been very well supported yeah, throughout yeah. all these years. Yeah, because you you mentioned earlier before we recorded, you have a almost like a anytime access pass, don't you? Is that something? I've that's... still got my FIA, you know, press credential, which really? is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I was very fortunate when I got to five hundred Grand Prix. Bernie Eccleston gave me a, a lifetime honorary pass, wow. which was fantastic. Yeah, you know, after all those years. So, uh, yeah, I feel very privileged and honoured to be still going to, you know, 10 Grand Prix a year, you know, and uh, enjoying, enjoying, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the races and, and seeing everybody. Fantastic. And what's your, what's your plan moving forward? Are you, are you hoping to wind down or are you going to still keep going and keep enjoying? Or I guess it's going to be, I, I can't imagine you ever wanting to completely give things up you're no. always going to want to keep it's, going it's, it, I've got to keep going it's been yeah. my, my been my life you know yeah. like I said 650 Grand Prix uh, I've got to keep going and enjoying it you know I was fortunate enough after uh, world Cha- the success of World Champions in Art to uh, do another project with Mark Dickens mm. and this time it was called Ferrari in Art Yeah. and yeah. Uh, 25 pieces uh, again uh, I had to go and get the quotes he asked me for 100 and I got him 120 handwritten quotes off everybody Brilliant. writing about Ferrari yeah. and what it meant to them. So, you know, I got everyone from Piero Ferrari to Montezemolo <laughs> to Ross Braun, uh, Vettel, Leclerc, all the Mansell, all the old drivers, Stefan Johansson, Berger, <laughs> Irvine, Massa. You know, it just went on and on and on. Yeah. And then I ended up getting all uh, the quotes from... Uh, the collectors, uh, you know, uh, Lawrence Stroll, mm. big Ferrari collector at the time. I understand he sold his Ferraris now. He's Aston Martin, man. <laughs> uh, Ian Poulter, the golfer. Nick Mason, the drummer wow, from Pink yeah, Floyd. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> uh, all, all these collectors, yeah. It was uh, And Gordon Ramsay, very kindly, wrote a beautiful quote about Ferrari and what it, the synergy between uh, what he's doing. So... Uh, Prince Albert of Monaco. I could go on and on, but these quotes were very special. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we did 25 pieces. They're all very different. And we sold them as a whole collection uh, to uh, Bernie Eccleston wow. last October. Yeah. So he's bought the whole collection, which was another success. So yeah, I don't know uh, what will happen in the future, but mm. uh, I'm always looking for a new project. I mean, so, surely there's got to be a big book coming. There's got to be. There, there has to be at some point. I just <laughs> haven't had time, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
You've got I've these just wonderful been... <laughs> writers now that do it all for you. They'll sit you in a room and, and I've got a ghostwriter. He's yeah. he's getting impatient with me. <laughs> but we'll 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 get there in the end. I've yeah. just spent twelve months uh, converting my uh, my chapel, you know, mm. that I told you about where yeah. I ran certain images, you know, this three thousand square foot you know, uh, conversion uh, into a uh, the Chapel Wellness Studios in <laughs> Toaster. Uh, it's a private gym, and uh, we've been supported by Techno Gym from Italy, Michael Schumacher's old yeah. sponsors, and they're still partners with Ferrari and McLaren uh, to the day. Uh, and we've just set up this, uh, we opened three weeks ago, the Chapel Wellness Studios in Toaster. It's a private gym, mm. luxury gym, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, being project manager mm. and now I'm helping my son who's the personal trainer Max Brilliant. to uh, market that and uh, see where we go with it you know yeah, we d- yeah. you know, you just never know and once again using my contacts from motorsport mm. uh, you know to, to get some drivers down there yeah, next I was gonna year say. At Silverstone yeah we're right next to Silverstone so yeah and maybe some young drivers help them out yeah you know and uh, yeah we'll, we'll see where it goes that uh, it keeps me busy fantastic well it's been absolutely brilliant getting this wonderful insight you know an angle of of formula one that perhaps isn't isn't as discussed you know often it's the we see the photos we see the images but the stories behind them is often the most exciting part or or you know as significant as the picture themselves if people are listening and they want to see your work where's the easiest uh, place for them to go to well since i sold the business and the archive uh, all the pictures are now with uh, motorsportimages.com. Uh-huh. So uh, if you type in Sutton there, uh, I mean, there's thousands or millions of pictures, <laughs> but it's all keyword. Yeah. So if you've got a favourite driver, you put that driver in and, or a race or, or whatever, yeah. And it's something we developed all those years ago, and now it's all combined in, in uh, motorsportimages.com uh, where you can see all the pictures that I took during those uh, 40 years. Wow. And then, you know, I've got a, an Instagram, Keith Sutton F1, which I've put some of my favourite pictures up. Mm. You know, there's probably only about 40 at the moment, but uh, I will get <laughs> more into it. I'm a bit yeah. slow on the uh, social media, <laughs> but I do realise how big yeah. it is and important it is these days. It's yeah. just uh, having that mindset to, to do that all the time and remembering all the hashtags and everything you've got to do. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've got so many private pictures as well mm. of, of, of my career, yeah. you know, and behind the scenes that I'd like to put up, Brilliant. you know, of, of my journey. Yeah. Uh, I'd look, you know, so hopefully in the future we'll get a few more photos up there and of, of the memories and Brilliant. the times. Excellent. And there'll be obviously uh, the book coming out yeah. of my That'd memoirs. That'd be fantastic, yeah. And again, if we can include some of those behind-the-scenes stories and images, it's just, yeah, that'll be that, That's magical. exactly what I'm going to be Absolutely doing. Absolutely magical. Brilliant. Well, Keith, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I really hope we bump into each other more and can hear a few more of these stories. And, um, yeah, when it comes to launching that book, give us a shout and we'll, uh, we'll get it promoted. Thank you. We'll Thanks, John. Get people listening and, and reading, most importantly. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank Good you time. very much. Thank you. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. The next guest that we're speaking to is Anna-Louise Felstead. Anna-Louise, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Sleeping With Art. I gather this is your first time at the event. It is, yes. Yeah, fantastic. So how did you, how did you learn about this event and what's, what's got you here? 
Um, I was um, emailed by Renata, who invited me to join, and um, I work... My studio is in Delta House Studios in Earlsfield in Wimbledon, and um, I work um, in the same building as Ella Frere, who is another artist, and I'm sharing a room with her. And Ella's sister, Tilly, helps organise this with Renata, so it's all through word of mouth, really. Fantastic, which is often the best way. We find that in this industry, you know, as an automotive space, especially, it's all... It's not about what you know, it's who you know, and so many connections mm. and opportunities come as a result of just knowing the right people. Mm. Um, so what can you tell us about your work? Obviously, I'm fully aware that this is a, an audio format, and it can be quite difficult to explain art in its physical form and, and what it looks like. But in your words, what do you create? So I call myself a reportage artist because I basically report what I see with imagery as opposed to writing it down like a journalist would. So I went to St Martin's and then I went to the Royal College and at the time I was quite nervous about how I would make a career out of painting because a lot of my colleagues and um, friends were just painting from their imagination, whereas Mm -hmm. I've always been quite good at painting from life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I um, was a bit concerned about how I was going to make a career out of it, and my tutors at the time pointed me in the direction of Linda Kitson, who was the official Falklands war artist, and she went out to the Falklands and was doing all these amazing drawings, um, which led on to me going and spending some time with the Royal Navy on board various frigates. Mm -hmm. And um, that was very much a self-initiated project, and quickly learnt that although it was fantastic and amazing and had some incredible experiences with the Royal Navy painting their ships and I had a flight in the Harrier and all these you know wow. fantastic experiences, um, yeah, they don't tend to have enough money to buy art. Mm. Um, and a lot of, I think, um, officers specifically who wanted to buy my pictures of Harriers or ships were often sort of stopped by their partners. <laughs> like, we, enough, enough yeah. with the... Uh, and where sort are you of, going to hang it, yeah, Exactly. So, um, so a friend of mine, James Wood... Um, I met a chap at a party years ago who said you should paint classic cars yeah. come to Monaco to the historic Grand Prix and this will be James Wood aka driving ability absolutely yes. and it was due to James that basically he said come along and I'll introduce you to everyone which he did and I went into the paddock with him and sat down I think I painted um I think it was a Ferrari was the first car and then I painted a BRM James's brother's car yeah and um before I knew it, I was having lots of people tapping me on the shoulder saying, when you finish that, can you paint mine? Brilliant. And then, uh, and then after that, I was just invited by you know people saying, are you going to go to Monza next weekend? How about Spa and how about Goodwood? And literally, I didn't know any of these places and I just literally went everywhere. And it wow. was just, that was the beginning. Uh, so before that point, had you had any interest in cars or was there, was it just pure chance that that was something you were invited to have a go and it was pure chance I didn't come up I didn't grow up in a family where you know cars were my parents both liked cars my dad bought me an old MGB GT when I was about 15 um which he was going to restore but my father basically just lost interest and it sat in the garage for many years rotting until someone bought it I'm sure at a loss so um Mm. that was sort of the first experience um but um no he he wasn't really that that bothered and um so it was really just out of my own making really it was just a little door that was a jar that I pushed and I'm very glad I did yeah I bet and I've, I've had a little walk around so to describe the event if you haven't heard previous episodes where we talked about sleeping with art as an event it's this beautiful takeover of this beautiful estate heads a house in Buckinghamshire and a lot of artists have been fortunate to have almost their own room haven't they their own bedroom in this beautiful house where they've been able to have their own mini gallery pictures on easels and Walking around in, in your room, 
I can see lots of atmospheric photos. There's lots of very creative, fun photos with you know cars with people on top of them and the naughty I'm, ones. The naughty ones. Yes. Yep. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> yeah, the naughty yeah. ones. I've got non-naughty ones and slightly naughtier ones. <laughs> yeah. And the naughtier ones always get more attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a great talking point actually because yeah, I'll, the, the the story behind that is I was obviously started in Monaco painting scenes of. You know all the the, the the scenes in Monaco, the famous corners, the yeah, race cars, yeah. the paddock scenes, and then years later, I was at Pebble Beach and I was commissioned to paint someone's Aston Martin, and the chap in question asked me to paint um, a slightly erotic scene. Um, <laughs> they were he and his girlfriend were into bondage, so I, I googled bondage to get some inspiration <laughs> and um, ended up painting this picture, which I put on Facebook at the time. This was pre-Instagram days, and tagged a bunch of car collectors and owners and you know, friends that I knew in the industry and it kind of went mad and before I knew it I was getting commissioned to paint various cars with varying degrees of naughtiness so there are some clients <laughs> like you know no boobs out whatsoever my wife won't be amused um so sort of sort of slightly risque but you know maybe a bit of cleavage and others were like go for it al you know we can have <laughs> yeah. a sort of crazy um all sorts of scenes you know girls playing golf with nothing on really Mm. that kind of thing so yeah they do they do tend to get quite a bit of attention it's just a bit of fun and with that the 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 naughty pictures I like this term very much the (laughs) naughty pictures was that ever you know in your career the beginning as an artist was that something you thought that or you ever imagined that you'd be leading towards these kind of like really fun Naughty photo, uh, naughty paintings, boobs out. No, kind of well, thing. I did a lot of life drawing, as most art students yeah. do, you know, and so um, there is a bit of um, knowledge, I suppose, about mm-hmm. the the female form. I have painted in <laughs> quite a few studios, and uh, yeah, but it wasn't what I was expecting. Actually, when when this chap originally commissioned me to do a bondage scene, I did think, oh God, really? You know, I mm. was not inter- interested in this idea at all. But actually. I got into it and it was it's just a bit of a laugh and then there's a Swiss client of mine who I think commissioned in the end about 35 original paintings which are wow. all now hanging in his garage and he just loves telling me about the reactions that they get because yeah. some people are just horrified and others find them hysterical <laughs> and um, I ended up making a series of little gift cards I had a little gallery in Cornwall in Port Isaac on the north coast for a couple of years years ago it was a bit of an experiment and I loved it but mm. I quickly realized that as a single woman living on my own in Cornwall it was quite a tough life and uh, you know I was, I'm really happy that I did it um, but my gallery which I think people just assume would be full of paintings of Cornwall had all these naughty car pictures in <laughs> as well as Cornish scenes too but they've, they've actually been really popular and they sell really well as prints and now I'm doing um, coasters and placemats and, and jigsaw puzzles with the naughty ones on you know pre-Christmas so oh, that's, that's a bit fun. of an idea as well yeah and we should say as well it's, it, it's not all girls with their boobs out. I've noticed there's, there's a Land Rover picture there in, in, in the hall with um, guys just as scantily clad as the girls. Absolutely. Got to yeah. even it out a bit. Absolutely. Mm. It's all about diversity and equal A few six-packs, a few pot yeah. bellies as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Keep Gotta it real. the dad bods in there, definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, we've been quite lucky. The past few days, or the past couple of days that we've been recording our podcast, we've had, up until about an hour or so, one of your paintings, which was a beautiful yellow E-type, um, adorned with uh, that na- was, naughty ladies. Yeah, that was quite rude, actually. Sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to be in the media. But it was room. a great talking point because everyone would come in. We'd invite people in for our little podcast sessions. They'd sit exactly where you were. They'd look over to their right and go, "Oh wow, that's a, uh, oh ah right yes. okay." I don't know how. So the, the painting the is ways to describe a picture it. of a yellow E-type Jaguar with naked women around it mm-hmm. eating bananas. Yes deep-throating banana that's probably a bit more (laughs) anyway that's the car reminded me of a banana so I thought let's just have the girls eating bananas yeah and it's yes it is provocative but it's I think that 
they're sort of painted in a way that it's cheeky and it's fun. It's not hardcore pornographic. It's yeah, just a bit. Course. It's a bit silly, but yeah. yeah, they do get a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly the ones that. I mean, I mean, I was going to say, you could put that at the the window for the gallery to draw people in but then yes. I guess do you ever get people walking in well this is it so I had a stand window. twice this year for the first time at Salon Privé first was at the Chelsea show uh-huh. and I was a little bit nervous about putting them on the walls so I just had them in my browser and um, <laughs> I think I put one out the front of a, of a Range Rover shooting scene and I noticed that people were sort of laughing as they were sort uh-huh. of standing quite far away and would come up to look at it because it's very, very deta- detailed you can yeah. look at them for a long time and notice new things about it and um, and obviously I had all my nice Monaco paintings on the wall, but I noticed that quite a few people were looking through the browser and laughing and taking them out. And they often end up in someone's downstairs loo. I'm not offended. Yes. You know, it's the kind of place where you put that kind of thing. So when I had my stand this year at Blenheim Palace at Salon Privé, they went on the walls and um, yeah, did really well. So I'm not nervous about showing. I think I think we're all adult, adult, adult enough and old enough not to be too yeah. shocked we can get you know no, indeed. it's a bit of fun yeah there's, there's plenty worse out there to be consumed let's be honest absolutely and who's your typical buyer is it mainly blokes or do you tend to find it's women as well well i mean we're in an industry where there are lots of predominantly male mm-hmm. you know car collectors but actually a lot of women do buy my prints as well great which is good and i have a lot of wives and girlfriends buying them for their partners for christmas and Super. it's just you know it's the kind of thing that you know I'm sure we all have friends who have cars and they're difficult to buy for because they can basically buy whatever they want to buy. So yeah. something that's a little bit different, a bit bespoke, you know, Great. having a picture of their particular car with their girlfriend, mm. their dog, you know, their kids around it. It's, um, there are so many things that I can do. That's yeah. the beauty of having an imagination. Obviously with the photography, mm. you know, unless you're doing other things with it, sort of using Photoshop and yeah, of course. mixing it up. But yeah, it's, it, it tends to work quite well. Brilliant. Brilliant. And the, again, in your little gallery room there, there's, you mentioned things like Monaco, there's brilliant scenes of the the iconic hairpin corner at at Monaco looking down from the fairman or looking up at the hotel. It's those kind of atmospheric situations. Do you tend to try and paint everything whilst you're there? Do you like to capture images, then go home and paint? I try and paint everything when I'm there because I think it really captures... When you're there and you've got the noise mm. and you've got people jostling you in the grandstands, yeah. I just I take my sketchbook, which is about 18 by 24 inches, so it's big enough to put in a little portfolio and drag around with me. I've got I used to just work in ink, which was a bit of a nightmare because they'd smash the little bottles of yeah. liquid ink. So now I take my watercolors, a few crayons and a few inks because the colors are so vibrant, and I manage to get a media pass every other year when I go to the historic. So that's great because it just gives me the tabard and I'm able to get to yeah. all the places that I need to be. And I, yeah, I try and do the majority of the paintings there. When I first started, it was very much the whole painting would be done there and then. Mm-hmm. And I think they look quite naive, but I love that. I mean, they were printed in Octane recently and it's just the really great. sort of raw kind of quick, quick paintings with splashes of colour. And, and over the years, I've started to sometimes work a bit on the cars when I'm home to just to sort of make them a little bit more realistic but mm. it just depends sometimes it just I, I actually prefer I think the paintings that I've just done from life because it just captures yeah. the, the atmosphere and the energy yeah no plan just go in and yeah see what happens fantastic right now if people want to see your work where's the easiest place for people to head to so I'm on Instagram um A.L. Felstead is my Instagram handle or my website is alfelstead.com fantastic go and have a look genuinely these pictures are brilliant both creatively and humorously and slightly thank naughty you. and they're just great so go and look at them they are fantastic um, and Louise thank you so much thank it's you been great me. to talk to you and um, yeah I'll let you get back to it and hopefully sell some art 
The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. There we go. That was fun, wasn't it? So that concludes our activities at Sleeping With Art, a wonderful event. We know for sure that there is going to be far more to come from this event moving forward. Go and find Sleeping With Art now on Instagram and make sure you're following and make sure you've set up some sort of alert to look for the event when it gets announced for 2023. I know what the plans are, I know what the aspirations are, but I'm not going to say too much. All I will say is you won't want to miss it. So make sure you're following Sleeping With Art. Make sure you're on the website. If the option is there to register interest for tickets for 2023, I recommend very, very highly getting those booked ASAP because it's going to be big. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it. There'll be more to come next week. Plenty more guests lined up, plenty more conversations to be had, lots more fun to be had. So thank you so much for listening to this one and we look forward to bringing you more. Bye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.